Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hey, everybody. Wishes and dips. Today's topic that we are discussing is wishes and dips. You may have seen it on or heard it in the in the video modules on the Allies in Recovery website. So, Dominique, we need to know what wishes and dips are. Like, what the heck are those things? And we need to know how it relates back to motivational interviewing. So I'm going to pass it off to you to give us a a description and to help define it so everybody knows what we're talking about today. Sure thing. Good morning. Yes, we talk about wishes and dips. It's a part of motivational interviewing, which is the foundation of CRAFT. The folks out at the University of New Mexico based CRAFT, the CRAFT approach on substance use disorder folks who tend to be very resistant to wanting help. Over 50% of people who acknowledge they have a problem remain resistant to getting any help for it. And that's very frustrating for families. It's very frustrating for the treatment system. They tend to stay unmotivated and it's harder to get into treatment. It's harder to keep them in treatment. So we talk as a as family members, our job is to learn craft, which is based on motivation. So reflective listening. These are the skills that a clinician that does motivational interviewing would use on you, the person with addiction. They would get you to speak. They would reflect back what you're saying so that you're the one speaking. You're the one talking about yourself and, and you're the one possibly raising something that sounds like change talk. Change talk is sort of the official motivational interviewing term for listen to what they're saying. They actually want some change in their life. They're actually wishing for something. I wish I could go back to school. I I wish I could get my license back. I gotta get off this couch. I gotta do something. Or it's a dip. Something dampens their enthusiasm, something things look bleak and they go, you know, I just, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I, I can't seem to get off this couch. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't seem to get started with my life. These are moments in your loved one's talk that we want families to become aware of. A wish, something they want, a dip, something they, they don't like about themselves. This change talk is the moment that your loved one is showing even a little bit of motivation. It's a desire for something different in their life. And it is at that moment that you have a little bit of a window with them. They're showing you their motivation for change. And in craft, this is when we would say, this is an opportune time to talk about treatment, to talk about an activity that you've, you've suggested to them or they would like, like a pickup basketball game on a Monday night at the gym. This is your opportunity to sit down and say, hey, you know, I hear you. Um, you'd like to go back to school. 
Well, you know, I have this list of folks that work at the university and they help with career planning and figuring out classes and and with it generally get you back on your feet to go back to school. Would you look at this with me? And so you've got this motivation, momentum from your loved one, and that's the best time to bring up treatment. Or perhaps it's something like this. I know you've been hurting. I can really see, I can see, really see you, you're struggling. And I've got a list here of people who, who work with young women who, who have a broken up relationship and are maybe drinking too much. And, and perhaps, perhaps this person can get you to a place where you won't feel so bad. Would you consider making a call with me and seeing if they'll take you? Um, so it's that timing. And what we say in craft is, if you're not hearing a wish or a dip, it's probably not a good time to talk about treatment. It's probably not a good time to try and force or throw options up at them because they're resistant. They're not really paying attention to this part of their life. So very important is that you, you wait for their momentum. You wait for them to say something. In all of craft, you want them to say things, not you. So stepping back, not talking about treatment, not talking about the Monday night pickup game. It's Monday again. Hey, you want to, you know, no, because that doesn't work. What works is Monday afternoon, he's going, oh, I don't know. I feel so blah. I go, you know what? That basketball game, that pickup basketball game is at the gym tonight at seven. Let's go check it out. So that's a different way of addressing what they're saying about themselves and providing it's a wedge, it's a moment, it's an opening for the time to talk. In order for this to happen, of course, you have to have that list of options ready. And so that's the other thing we, we want you to do in this particular set of strategies. One, listen for a wish or a dip. Second, have those options ready. Know about that basketball game. Know about that therapist who's got openings, who specializes in young women who with broken hearts and, and alcohol problems. You know, you just, you want to come up with, with things that, that are ready and you can provide them right away. I love this because I think it, it really can be expanded on. And when you talk about like the basketball game versus, you know, going to a counselor, I think this is such a pivotal piece of craft that you can really use wishes and dips in such a positive way of influencing your loved one. And if people can just expand out their understanding of what treatment is, I prefer to look at it as health and wellness, how to improve on health and wellness. And to me, that's what recovery is. Recovery is when a person is trying to do things to better themselves whether that's physical health, mental health, emotional health, whatever that is, they're working on something that's going to improve their life. And so I really believe that wishes and dips are such an opportunity for me to listen to my loved one and to get them talking. It's something like, I wish that I hadn't dropped out of that class, or I wish I hadn't dropped out of school. Oh, tell me more about that that it's actually not about me getting in there and telling them what they what they should do but go ahead tell me about it i want to hear about it i want to hear about your dreams 
what goals you would like to have. And so for me, those wishes and dips, a lot of the time, I'm looking for them constantly, and then I'm going to tap into them, and I'm going to get my loved one talking and telling me about their thoughts. It's almost like getting them to speak their thoughts out loud. So what's interesting listening to the two of you is that I feel like what we're talking about more than anything is opening and connection. I think that most of the time when we're, before we start doing this work, we just keep spewing things at people. It's like, I'm just going to tell you all this stuff. I'm going to tell you what to do with my brilliant ideas. I'm going to fix all these problems. And I think the word fixes fundamental here is that we think we're going to fix something. And that is not the model that we're talking about here. What we're talking about, as I'm listening to you, I feel like what this is really about is a loosening. Okay. So like the person's, you know, has this hard reaction, like, I'm you, my life sucks, or this is not okay, or this is what I'm doing. Don't tell me what to do. And it gets hard. And we go hard against the hard, which just makes everybody more defensive. And what we're talking about is softening and loosening. If the person starts communicating, and we're a more receptive communicator, which is about listening, about actually allowing the person to process themselves and giving them the space to do it and not jumping in with our brilliant ideas and trying to fix things. They keep talking. And the interesting thing to me is that I am always shocked about how smart people are when you let them talk. You want people to talk long enough so that they come up with their own ideas, that they put things out there, that they are more open and that you're just the the reflective listening that we're talking about is encouraging people to keep talking. It's not, oh, we're going to talk till you come up with a solution. I just want you to talk. I have no idea what the outcome is, but the more you talk, the more loosening there is, the more safe you feel with me, the more connected you feel with me, the more you might come up with your own answers, the more these ideas pop out. And you know, I always think about change, and this is clinically. As a therapist, what happens is there are things that people just say that they didn't even know that they were thinking or feeling. And those are the gems that if you allow a person to keep talking, they come up with it themselves, which allows you more information, allows you more access, which allows them more access and information. And then you have more to work with. So instead of coming on like, your, your life is terrible and you're not doing anything. Why don't you go to treatment? That's a closed door. This is more what we're describing is as people are speaking and moving things around, you don't know what the opening is going to be. And again, I think what you said is essential, Lori, that it's not just, oh, you should go into an IOP or see a therapist. It's this functioning piece. Like maybe we could go for walks on a more regular basis. Maybe let's go for a walk now. That is a therapeutic actual activity to do. So it's not just about therapy. It's about doing things that are healthy and functional. That's exactly what I mean. Like adding these other pieces in, even adding in pieces that are, and I'm going to put it in quotes so I know nobody can see it, but treatment, right? Or recovery activities, right? I I like this, uh, Dominique, you had brought this up in the past about kind of broadening and expanding on this idea of treatment and adding in these recovery activities, almost as if you can add them in in a way that it's not about getting help 
for your problems, that it's more of, hey, let's go for a walk or, hey, I was I know you like to exercise and your birthday is coming up. And I was thinking about getting you a membership to the CrossFit gym up the street that just opened up. Is this a good idea for you? Would would you like that? Because I'm kind of stuck. I don't know what to get you for your birthday. So I'm introducing the idea. You know, I could say, hey, did you know there's lots of people in recovery at the CrossFit gym? Right? Like, what a great place for you to go and make connections. No, uh, uh-uh. I'm going to offer it to you. I'm going to offer it to you in a way that I don't see that you necessarily have a problem but this is just something that might you might like. And so I'm introducing something that I think you might like that might be pleasurable to you and that I know will be a positive force possibly in your life. And also one other thing that I I do want to talk about because opening the door to discussion can actually lead to major or not discussion, opening the door to listening to your loved one can actually lead to major discomfort for the family member. Why I say this, and and I think that a lot of family members have to kind of think about that and anticipate it in the, before you get into these discussions so that you can kind of understand what it is that you might hear and what it is that you can cope with. So, and what I mean by that is, Oftentimes our loved ones for the first time feel comfortable talking to us when we are using this wishes and dips and motivational interviewing or reflective listening where we're not really talking, we're letting our loved ones talk, but they'll say something that brings up incredible distress. Kayla's Kayla's raising her hand. She wants to talk. Let me just say one more thing and then please comment, Kayla. But I remember my son would talk about pot and growing pot in great detail. And it drove me nuts. I hated hearing about it. And I felt like I have to listen to this because he's opening up to me and I can't judge it. And I would often walk away very frustrated and with this tense gut and have to go and calm myself down and take care of myself. Yeah, just quickly, people ask me this all the time because they're like, when somebody starts talking, you have no control about what they're going to say. And if your person has mental health issues or substance use issues, you're going to hear things that are going to make your skin crawl. Okay. And so people like, how do I handle that? And I think that's an excellent question. The way I describe it is when somebody is being open and honest with you, no matter what they're saying, you have to perceive this as a gift. This is the gift of connection. Gift of a connection is not like happy, la la la, you know, little rabbit foo-foo talk. It's that connection is about being real, being honest, talking about the things that people are really interested in or the struggles that they're having or experiences that are very painful to hear. And so if you could see this as, oh my goodness, the person trusts me enough to do this with me, that and you have the gift perception, it's easier to take because then it's like you're doing something really positive. The second thing is that there's this way of listening and I it's very hard to describe. The way I describe it is you basically 
see this as them and it's not you. You you have to create a, this order of protection where it's like, you know, in Imago, they talk about putting this plexiglass up in front of you so that you could hear it, you could see it, but it's not penetrating you. So some form of protection in front of you where you're receiving it, but not being pierced and bleeding from it. Because once you get, once it met, you make it about you, then you've twisted this whole thing around. So the other thing I do is like, this is their story. They're sharing their story. This is about them. Wow, this is really interesting. So it's also the curiosity and fascination, which is an external piece, not an, oh my God, what does this mean? And I have to do something about this. This is not about action. This is about listening. And you allow that person's story to be their story, their interest to be their interest, their pain to be their pain. And if you take in somebody's pain and make it personal to you, you're basically twisting up the dynamic and that's not okay. It's interesting you say that because I, I think that's what evolved in my relationship with my son over time. It took me a while to kind of get there, but Dominique describes it. And I love, I do love her description. She's written about it in the past and she says, build up this bubble, right? Build up this this safe bubble for yourself. And also I have taken on this attitude of I'm observing something, right? I am observing what this person is saying. I am am observing the behavior. And so by observing, it doesn't put me in it. So it helps protect me in the sense that it's not mine, it's theirs no matter how i how i feel about whatever it is that they're telling me i am observing behavior i am observing somebody else dominique you, you want to say something it is it's very hard to stay in that in that lane cuz every ounce of you is involving yourself in what you're hearing and you can't allow that to happen Kayla has this great way of of talking about active listening or reflective listening which is it's not a passive adventure. It's a curious, observing, and actively, this is the doing. You are listening to someone so that you can repeat back what they said. Even if you don't repeat back what they said, your work in your head is to listen so that you can speak back. In that way, you will remove yourself. You do if you're really listening and really curious and observing. Those qualities keep you off yourself and make you just a channel for what they're saying and for them to continue talking. I've seen this beautiful work and we have a whole podcast on reflective listening where Isabel from Allies, we worked on her for a good 45 minutes and she who you know knows craft very well and, and has been using it at home. She's had a terrifically hard time. It was very impressive how difficult it is. So we're not minimizing you know, the difficulty. And because it's difficult, you might start with little short spots of it and not try to keep it up for too long. Because you'll see, you can time yourself. Two minutes is a long time to do what we're describing. What I would add to that is that it's a practice. People are like, they look at me, they're like, how do you do that? I could listen to somebody for an hour and a half. And at the end of it, I could repeat back everything that they said. And people are like, how do you do that? It's because I wasn't distracted. 
you know, I'm not thinking about the shopping list and, you know, how wrong you are about what you're saying or, oh, my God, what am I going to do about this? When I'm actively listening and I've been doing this for over 20 years, what happens is that I have one purpose, which is to hear every word that you say. And if if I repeat it back and and you're like, that's not what I said, instead of me get, getting defensive, what I do is then tell me what you said, because I clearly didn't hear it. It's not about me. It's about me making sure that the information that I'm receiving is what's being said. And again, what I say with active listening is when you're doing it well and you are repeating it back, the person will often correct you. And they re- it's not that you got it wrong. It's that they're clarifying their thinking as you're doing this work. And I think that is the biggest gift you could give somebody. We don't listen to each other. You know, and what happens is if you can see listening on this level of depth and connection as one of the most healing activities you can engage in, then that's why we say it's the beginning of treatment, because instead of it being about my anxiety about what you're saying or my hurt about what you're saying or me feeling insulted or blamed or guilty, that's about me if I'm listening and that's what I'm getting. I can't be about me. I'm listening to you. And that's my gift. And you're telling me all these painful things is your gift to me. And I need to be able to receive that gift well and do it in a way that it's like it's it stays about you, not about me. It's the hardest thing in the world to do. And it is the most effective treatment that you could possibly engage in with anybody. So you don't just practice on your loved one that's having problems. You practice on everybody, your family members, your spouses, your other kids your coworkers, the more you do this, the more you're going to be able to do it when it's heated and not just this lovely light conversation. You want it to become second nature. Yes. And I have found personally, and and this is just me, the more I practice it, the more second nature it becomes. And also the more genuine and the less mechanical it becomes in my conversations with people, right? Like the more it just comes natural. It's like, yeah, no, I'm trying not to cut you off, right? Like I'm trying, I'm really genuinely trying to hear it. Nope, I, I didn't get it right. I didn't get it right. I'm sorry. Please repeat it again so that I understand. I really need to understand. It really becomes this genuine, more flowy kind of thing and a lot less mechanical and awkward. That's a very important point. And people ask me all the time, what if my loved one says, what are you doing? Are you, you can imagine what it was like for me. My kid would be like, stop being a therapist. And what happened was I would say to her, look, I just want to really make sure I'm getting what you're saying. It matters to me what you have to say. So I'm sorry it's coming out that way. I'm just really listening. So once you start doing this, you get to modify it. When I learned it, it was like you repeat back verbatim what everybody's saying all the time. And now it's like, I might let the person just keep talking. Oh, wow. Tell me more. Tell me whatever. You get them to keep talking. And then I literally at the end will like then tell you, okay, wait, wait, I just want to make sure I got what you said. And I'm repeating back all the gems that I got. And it's astonishing the reaction that I get when I do that, because people walk around saying nobody listens to me. You cannot say you didn't hear what I had to say if I just repeated back every word that you just said. And then if you say, well, that wasn't quite right. Great. Correct it. So they correct it. I add that in. I repeat it back. And then 
I do the validation, which is, wow, that makes sense. Or this makes sense because if you're going to do a validation, you have to explain why that makes sense to you. And you don't provide all history of them. It's based on what they just told you, what makes sense to you about what they said. And you're not agreeing. You're just making sense out of what they just told you. Right. And validations. I often talk about validations in the rest meetings and validations are validating people's thoughts and feelings, which everybody has the right to feel and think whatever it is that they're thinking or feeling, whether you agree with it or not. It's got nothing to do with you agreeing with them. It has everything to do with saying, well, okay, makes sense to me that you would think that. And, you know, you would think that your boss doesn't like you because he yelled at you in front of everybody, or it makes sense to me that you would feel frustrated and, and a little embarrassed in front of your colleagues. If your boss yelled at you like that, I didn't agree with anything like, you know, it's okay for you to go to work late every day for two weeks. Right. I didn't, I didn't do that. All I did was validate thoughts, validate feelings, allow the person to have that. And that's it. Right. And the other thing is that it, they're often talking about you. So it might be, it makes sense to me that you think that I'm controlling you or I'm trying to control you because, you know, the other day when you said this, I said, well, maybe you should do blah, blah, blah. And that makes sense that you would take that as controlling. That makes complete sense to me. And if I say to you, let's say, let's say Kayla says to me, you're trying to control me. And I say back to Kayla, no, no, I'm not. You shouldn't feel that way. <laughs> like I'm basically telling Kayla, you don't have the right to feel your feelings, right? You don't have the right to, to think what you're thinking. You're wrong. That doesn't bring defenses down. It just makes them harder. It makes a bigger wall, right? It doesn't connect. Versus me saying, okay, you think I'm trying to control you. Talk to me about that. Tell me why you think that. Exactly. And as you're doing this, and as Ed, you're both saying, the person's actually processing and having new ideas come out because you're allowing them the space to create ideas and to think about things in a safe exchange. Then you're going to start noticing the wishes and the dips. And at first, just notice them. Just start getting savvy about picking them up as you're talking with your loved one. Practice what we're suggesting. If it's a phone, and even on a text, you don't have to live with, with one another. But any opportunity you have, this would be the stance you would try to take with them. That would en enable the likelihood of a wish or a dip. And you'll get to listen to them and you'll hear them and you go, okay, when I'm ready and I hear this again, I'll have this list of ideas. I'll be able to slip in one thing. Would you like me to suggest a few options? You know, I hear you. I hear you. You want to go back to school. You want me to, can I suggest a few options? And if they say no, you say, okay, fine. I, I have a few things that I've written down. I'm going to put it on the side of the fridge so nobody sees it and you can go to it whenever you want. And on there, you've got the basketball game and you've got the mat program, the, the suboxone program, and you've got, you know, a detox and you've got a few basic first step into the systems information and you've really worked through it. So, you know, the time to call, you know, what's needed for the call, you know, who needs to make the call, you know, they have room, you know. So we here at Allies work with you to make sure that when it's you're ready to suggest some options, 
that you've worked out the very best options you can for them. And you've got every detail figured out so that they're not bumping along with their HMO card, you know, trying to get through the door of a detox on the wrong day that, you know, none of that. Everything we're talking about is to try to get them to do something, right? They need to do something. And we're very open as to what that something is. Health and wellness is sort of the most general of of categories, but you're going to have to put it together for them a little bit, at least so that they feel like they have a choice. And that list of options can be quite tedious and difficult to, to make. It can be quite short when you've done everything you can to check out your the local area, the local treatment systems. Um, and you don't want to wait until you get one of these wishes and dips and they, they say, no, I think I need treatment. And this just happened with one of Kayla's moms in, in her support group. And she was ready. She called us because it was, you know, we don't even know what he's using. You know, we don't even know if he needs a detox. We don't even know if he's taking his Suboxone, but we know he's in trouble and he knows he's in trouble. So we needed to create a few options in the community. And we know he has to leave home because nobody can tolerate him anymore. And nobody's willing to do craft except for mom. So it's going to be conflict in the home and not a good home environment for anybody. So all of that had to be figured out. And we ask you to start that process early. You can reach out to us. We can help you with that process. We don't refer to programs, but we we know a lot about treatment and we know how to find it. And it's important. This is craft and the primary goal of craft. Let us not forget because so much of, of the work we do is, is our with our loved ones who are already in treatment. The work of craft is to encourage additional treatment or better treatment or better activities. And that's the movement that you want. You want to open, connect, and then move and influence. And you can do that successfully in 12 weeks. That's what the studies have shown. And that's what we we have shown as well. Also, you said something in there, Dominique, that I think is really important to understand is that a lot of the time when you hear a wish or a dip, and you're doing this listening piece of it. And then you're one, I often, if I'm going to share my ideas and my thoughts, I ask permission. And I think that's a really important piece. Would it be okay if I shared some of my thoughts with you? And to get that yes, means oh, they're open to it. They might listen to me a little bit. But I also think it's really important to understand that a lot of the time it's just planting a seed or just dropping a seed into the soil and that they're not going to take you up on those ideas to start with. But whatever it is that they attempt, I think it's really important to support it. Okay, so they're not going to go to residential, but right now they've decided they will go see a counselor. And then when that doesn't work, maybe it will work. That's first off. It might work and it might work well. So you can continue to support it and continue to be a positive force with that. But let's say everything falls apart and they do need residential. They need residential treatment after that. That's the wonderful thing about supporting any attempt because if it falls apart, there's still these other options. And oftentimes that might be what you're what you're waiting for. Support any attempt and then be there when it doesn't work or it does work either way. 
Well, the one thing that I would add is that everything counts. Okay. Because I think that what's what I see all the time is people just miss anything. If it doesn't work or if it fails, it doesn't count. I think everything counts. I think every change that you make, whether it works a thousand percent or not, it counts. Your attempts count. Their attempts count. You're not looking at the success rate. You're looking at the attempts because attempts build up the muscle of trying. And the more you do it, the more likely the outcome is going to change. So it's not about starting and then it's successful. It's about motion. And the one thing I want to clarify about what you said, Dominique, is when we talk about motion, it's not that after 12 weeks, the person's clean or they're in this amazing treatment process. After 12 weeks, you're going to see movement. And so we're looking for motion and movement and that movement counts and that if there's progress that you count it, that you notice it, that you bask in it for yourself and your loved one, because everything counts. And everything is an effort towards ending addiction. I mean, if they're willing to do anything, it's because they have an understanding that's not working for them and they, they're willing to try something. So they're only willing to go to the therapist. They're not willing to walk into an inpatient residential program. Well, okay, let's do that. Let's try it. And we all know it's not enough because they're homeless and nothing else is in place. And they're, you know, they're not on, on a medication to prevent the opioids, the worst of the opioid addiction. So we know it's going to fail, but we're going to be there. We're going to watch them. We're going to let them try. They're going to fail. And then they themselves know that that wasn't enough inside and deep in them. And it may not, they may not say it to you, but then that intensive program that you also had on the list looks like the next step up, or maybe there's a few of them in between, but we learn this, this long period of trial and error to control and moderate our use. And it's through the, those efforts of moderations that we realize how big and important and all consuming the addiction has become because a simple therapist wasn't enough or if you're on the streets and you don't have a job and, and you're begging, you know, trying to get to that therapist. I worked on a release program from the county jail. We added mental health and we had the mental health worker in the jail and the same mental health worker out of the jail when they came out of jail. Almost none of them got to the mental health worker when they got out of jail. Why? Because their lives were a shambles. They didn't have stable housing. They didn't have their families in place. They didn't have a job. They didn't have transportation. It was cold. They were broke. You know, so you you have to wonder, you know, how much we how much burden it is and how difficult it is to do the simplest things. And then to see them perhaps not fix the problem. Well, that's right. And so for, as families, you have to watch them kind of do this. You have to encourage it. You know it's a step in the right direction, and it's not the whole, it, nothing is everything. Nothing is everything until that moment happens, and it is everything. And that happens to so many people at any age, at any time. You can stop, and a profound decision to stop, which is what a lot of us will tell you happened with us. Just a regular day, another gray day, 20th detox, I'm going through the door, and part of me goes, oh, my God, this is my life. I'm going to do this till I die. You know, I, I think about that because one of the inmates that I interviewed in this program and, and from the county jail, that's what he said. He said, I realized that very morning, I cannot do this anymore. Something really had to change. But everybody let him just go walk into the detox. You know, he just found his way to the detox. So 
you really don't know, but you are looking to create that, that ability to have a profound change and to do whatever they think is going to help. Well, ladies, this has been a great discussion. And I'm hoping that Kayla can go ahead and give us a summary. This has been Dominique Simone Levine, Kayla Solomon, and Laurie McDougall on Coming Up for Air. And Kayla, why don't you take it away? Take it away. I'm going to close this up. So basically what we're talking about are the tools that you have, which are active listening, noticing, being curious, being open to when somebody actually has an expression of what they would like to have or the sense of kind of hopelessness that I can't do this anymore. Those are wishes and dips. And it is at those moments that we get to gently move forward towards them and allow them to communicate with us so we can find out what they're interested in. And at the very same time, we have resources ready to go so that we could ask them if they're interested in it or just provide it to them and say, whenever you're ready, this is what's available. And that's one of the main tenets of craft is noticing the openings. And this is a practice. It's about staying with this so that you're watching when people are doing it so that you have a chance to be received as opposed to having somebody be defensive with you. Well, thank you. And basically what you just said to me was healing begins when people feel heard. Ain't that the truth? Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.